Well, good morning. So good to see you all here this morning. Uh, Daniel 7, right? So it's Daniel 7. It's kind of a big chapter in the Bible. And so JP goes on vacation <laughs> and leaves you guys here with me. So this is going to be good. Um, no, I'm, I'm excited. As you read this, you know, our family's weird. We, we like to um, wake up first thing in the morning and the kids usually start telling us like if they had dreams. Right. And so our children have this pattern, this habit of when they wake up, they like to tell us about their dreams. And a lot of times they're pretty interesting. Um, most of the time it's it's the kids kind of going and then um, and so and they're just they're kind of grasping to find the details as they draw the memories of their dreams so they can articulate what uh, it means. And it makes zero sense to anyone that's listening to it. Right. Uh, the only exciting dream is your own dream. If you're hearing someone else's dream, you're like, why are you telling me this right now? But as we've seen already in Daniel, that, that Daniel's not uh, a stranger to, to odd dreams. Uh, we've seen, uh, he's, he's actually become quite of a professional interpreter of that for the last 50 years. He's been placed in a position where uh, he's over others that might be interpreters of dreams, the magicians, the Chaldeans, the enchanters, the astrologers. He's placed over their authority, um, and he's also spent a lot of time interpreting and, and being and working for uh, King Nebuchadnezzar at this time. But none of this was done in his own power. So you have to think, why is this Israelite now uh, trying to be a good Babylonian citizen under the, the rule of King, Kevin ne- King Nebuchadnezzar? Why is he in the position that he is in? Was it because of his own power and his own abilities? Well, I don't think so. I think that we see that this is a man that's faithful to God and that God is going to use him to point others in a rebellious nation to know who God is, who Yahweh is. And so in this context, Daniel is in desperate times. It's been 70 years of exile. He's far away from Jerusalem. There's not an Israelite king on the throne. And God gives Daniel a dream. And this this. This dream is designed, I think, to shock and also to comfort Daniel in the midst of this, this very difficult time of his life. Now, Daniel was a lifelong, was in exile for the, the whole of his life. There was others that may have even gotten out of exile, but Daniel chose to stay in exile. And so you have to ask the question, why? And so Daniel 7, I think, is this beautiful picture, this beautiful passage that helps us see and reminds us of the authority of God, the history of God, and what God is doing to bridge the gap between the the beginning of time and to what we are going to see and where we are today as people sitting in a church in the 21st century. Daniel 7 is a bridge that goes from the ancient of days in the very beginning, the Alpha, all the way to the Son of Man. And now that that Son of Man, that Holy Spirit is now indwelling within us that we might be believers and follow and be obedient to God's God's word. But the way we see the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man in this text is going to be key, and it is a key way of how we read the whole of Scripture. And also is key to what you place your hope in today. So as I've read all these stories over and over again, you read these Old Testament stories and these kind of big stories, and you always kind of think, well, it's easy to know who the hero is. The hero is always the, the one that the story is about. 
Like you read the stories of, of Abraham and Isaac. You read the stories of, of Jacob and Noah and Moses and Joshua and David and Daniel. And you think, oh, these are the main characters. They must be the heroes of these stories. I try to read the Bible every year throughout. And I remember these stories over and over again. And as I've read the Bible over and over again, I've come to realize that these people are, are merely just characters in the Bible. They're characters in these stories in the Old Testament. They're not necessarily the, the heroes, but they're types or foreshadowing or pointing others to who the true hero is throughout all of these stories. And so we get to see that today as we look at who the true hero is, is that we're going to see that the true hero is the Son of Man, is Jesus. And so I love that we get to read these stories and it points us directly to, to Jesus. But we also have to realize that inside these stories, we have to remember that there's a past there's a present moment and then there's also a future. And those three things, they don't, they're not to, to live outside of each other. They're actually to, to be viewed like we view our reality today, right? We all have a past that we can kind of remember where we've came from. We all have a present that we're living in and we're learning as we go. And we all have this future thing, this future hope in something. And if you're a believer, then your future hope is in Christ alone. And so the past, the present, and the future still continues to, to collab- uh, um, work together in Scripture as well. So as Daniel has this dream, he's reminded of God's power once again in the past, the present, and the future. As he's having this dream, he's got to remember where he's come from, right? He was this Israelite boy, 15 years old, that's captured by King Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon to be a good Babylonian citizen. A lot of people were killed during that exile. Nebuchadnezzar only chose to keep the strongest, the wisest, the most useful to their, his, his citizenship, his citizen. And so Daniel survived, right? And then not only that, Daniel's called on. He says, hey, I can interpret this dream. And so he interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And then Daniel's promoted Then Nebuchadnezzar says, well, I want you to worship me. And Daniel says, I can't do that. And so Daniel's thrown into a fiery furnace. And he survives. Then later on, another writing on the wall, uh, a writing on the wall happens and and, uh, Daniel's called on. And he's able to interpret this writing on the wall and he's promoted once again. And then he's asked to do something that he's just not comfortable doing. So he's thrown into a lion's den. And he survives. And now we're here in chapter 7 and, and Daniel's given this dream. And so do you see how it's so important that as we, we step into this story today that you have to remember the past. Where he's coming from, what he's been brought through, where he has continued to worship. Where he's put his anchor of like this is my hope and my hope alone is in worshiping God. So whatever comes at me, I have to remember, we have to remember our, our past. And so... As uh, a lot of people, when they read this story of Daniel and they hear about all these different things, they think, oh man, Daniel, he's the hero. He's the one that survived all these things, but I don't think that's the point. These things happened to Daniel because Daniel remained faithful to worship God. Even in the midst of monarch kings demanding for the citizens to worship them, Daniel remains faithful. 
And so that shows us as we go into Daniel 7 today that God has been in control of Daniel's life the entire time. And the challenge for us and the thing that we have to think about today in the midst of our own anxieties and worries is that is, Dan, is, is God in control of our lives right now? Is he in control of your past, your present, and your future? In Daniel 7, it starts. Um, we know that it's the year 550 B.C. King Belshazzar is in his first year uh, as ruling king. Daniel is going to die in 10 years. So Daniel dies in 540 B.C. So he's only got 10 years left after this dream to when he passes away. And then we get this picture that David read to us, this, this picture of these dreams that are happening. The dream starts, and it's in this, this beast, this, uh, this dark, scary sea, and these four beasts come out of the water. A lion with eagle wings, in which they get plucked off, and the lion is now like a man who talks like a man and thinks like a man, yet he's still a predator. And then second, you have this, this hungry, ferocious bear called to devour more and more and more. And this bear is never satisfied. And third, there's this powerful leopard with wings and four heads and is granted power and dominion. And then fourth, you have is this, this dark, and out of the dark, this fourth beast comes up. I'm going to read that. Terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in his horn, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. <laughs> Has anyone had a dream like that lately? Right? I mean, if, you're, if you have, like, wow... But even when we have weird dreams, we're like, what does that mean? Or what did I eat <laughs> to get me there? And so Daniel has this incredible dream. And so many of us have gotten lost in trying to decode this thing. So many have spent their life trying to interpret or trying to explain this into um, what is called eschatology. This meaning of what's going to happen at the end. And I think that one of the most powerful things and most beautiful things about Scripture is that it's always going to bring us back to, to the meta-narrative, to the bigger picture, to the greater theme. And so one thing we know about this section of Scripture is that this is called apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature didn't really be, be, become being shaped until the 1800s. That's when it was identified as what this genre of writing would look like. And this chapter and the second half of Daniel is all kind of, kind of sits inside of that type of writing, that particular kind of writing. And the word apocalyptic means to unveil or to reveal something. Now in our church today, a lot of times we think that apocalyptic literature means that it's to unveil or reveal the end times only. But it's bigger than that. It's an unveiling. It's a revealing of something else, of something greater. It can have parts to do with the end times, but it's also something much larger than, than just the end times. This kind of writing does not aim to, um, to be more specific to prophecies and, and detail about the future as much as to provoke emotions, feelings, and our trust in God. Apocalyptic literature in the Bible is given to us by God for his purposes, and he's the one that does the revealing, not man. 
And so we have to be very careful when we read this type of literature to think that we have to uncode this. We have to determine and figure this thing out. So what is God wanting to reveal to Daniel? And also, what is God wanting to reveal? What is the greater theme? What is he wanting to unveil to us today? And so in verse 9, it says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the ancients of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair of his head was pure wool, was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands were there serving him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. So we see this ancient of days. This is a name for God. It's God in the position of eternal uh, being uh, the ruler of history and, and the decisive judge and an eternal existence. And what we're about to see is that, that he's going to be the decisive judge over every nation, over all of history, over every empire, over every individual. This is the name of God on his judgment seat. And he's the only one that sits down. And so you have this imagery of this court, and it's got a million people there. It's got a million people sitting at the, at the feet of the judge, the Ancient of Days. And they're worshiping. And if you have this imagery of like, and now the, the, the king sits down, the judge sits down, and the, the, the crowd simmers. And they're all waiting with great anticipation for his judgment. The creator of the universe, the perfect judge, the king of kings, is about to give his rule about to give his authority over and we're all and they're all going to get to see this and he's presided over all of history in Ephesians 1:11 it shows us that that he's the guiding the course of history according to the counsel of his will he's acting decisively in perfect timing to humble the proud and to exalt the humble James 4:6 the most high god we have to get our head around that Before we move on, the king of kings, the one that is the perfect judge, is seated and is about to cast judgment over all of this. And Daniel gets to see this. The creator of the universe, the one that was before time, before the mountains were were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth of the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 92 He's about to put judgment. And so the reading, I like reading um, stories, big stories like this. It's fun to read big stories like this in the message. Eugene Peterson wrote um, a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, and it's good. It's not the source. It's a good uh, resource support system, but not the Bible. But it's fun to read these because of the way he articulates. And in verse 11 through 13, Eugene Peterson writes it this way. I kept watching the little horn speaking arrogantly. Then as I I watched the monster, it was killed and its body cremated in a roaring fire. The other animals lived on for a limited time, but they didn't really go, they really didn't do anything. They had no power to rule. And my dream continues. And so you see that this ancient of days, he turns and he gives judgment. And the judgment is death. And the monster is killed. And he takes the, the power and the dominion from the other beasts. And what does he do with that power? What does he do with that, that dominion? In verse 13 it says, 
And this is still part of, this is still the dream, right? I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heavens, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and was presented before him, and to, and to him was given dominion, and glory, and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that will, that shall not be destroyed. Do you see who this is? The second character that comes into the story. The phrase, the son of man, it's been used a lot throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. Prophets use this, this language a lot. Sometimes it's, it's there to describe an angel, a prophet, a priest, or a servant of God. But because of the details that we see here, that we know that this son of man is different than all the other servants of God. We see that this son of man is the one that we see also in 2 Samuel 7, 13 and 16. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. My steadfast love will not depart from him. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. It's Jesus. And Daniel gets to see all of this 550 years before Jesus ever shows up. But when the Son of Man shows up, he refers to himself over and over again throughout the Gospels as the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man. And when he shows up, and it's his time, and it's the last hour's, he looks at his disciples and says, and the hour has come. And he knows his, his task that had been given to him by the Father. And that the beast is now time for it to be destroyed. For death to lose its sting. For the grave to be empty. Jesus shows up and he knows that he is the one that has been chosen. And his power and his dominion is different than all other kings. And all other rulers and all other authorities. His power and dominion is different. It is not temporary. It is an everlasting dominion. The Son of Man, though human, will, so- will far surpass any other human king. No other past, present, or future kings will reign forever. And that's the scene in Daniel's dream. And we get to see, he gets to see the judgment and the dominion given to the Son of Man. And that's the first half. So the first verses 1 through 14 is, is Daniel's dream. And then verses 15 through 28, still part of the dream, is this interpretation. We first learn that, that this is shaken Daniel, right? It says in verse 15 that he's, he's anxious and alarmed. So he asked the question to someone standing nearby, maybe an angel, maybe a, a, a person, a human in the dream. But he asks someone, hey, I need, to, I need this to be interpreted. And he gets this interpretation and he's, he's greatly concerned, very inquisitive about this fourth beast. And as he hears more, it says in verse 28, as he ends, says, my thoughts were greatly alarmed and my color changed. So in verse 15 and in verse 28 and the bookends of the interpretation, we see that this is shaken This is alarming to Daniel. And I think that we also should have that same uh, posture as we read and hear and understand God's word that it should be shocking to us yet at the same time bring us great comfort as it does Daniel here. 
So these images are designed to affect us, to provoke emotions towards God like it did to Daniel. And so if we look at the dream and the history of what will happen in the next 550 years, this dream perhaps is showing what is to come, right? That's where people have, have kind of barrowed down and said, this is where I'm going to interpret and decode all these different things. But I think there's a greater point for us here this morning. I think the greater point is not that it gives specifics to the identities of the beast or what's to come, but it's to show us inside of chaos we can still find hope. Inside of chaotic seasons of our life, we still find our hope is in Christ alone. But these prophecies are not meant uh, to turn readers into investigators. It's to point us to the greater theme the bigger picture, the meta-narrative of God's Word. And that, that would give us great confidence and great hope for what is to come in the future. God was using this dream of Daniel's to speak directly into the future. There's no doubt. He's dreaming and things are going to happen for the next 550 years. There are going to be battles that would happen in the next 550 years. There's going to be turns and power shifts and nations are going to rule over the next 550 years. So I don't, want to, I don't want to leave the, the, the dangling carrot of what does it mean? Well, people way smarter than myself, scholars have looked at it and said, well, I think the lion that once had the great wings and was great and powerful was probably Babylon. But the wings were plucked and it became more like a man as the Persian Empire began to, to bear down and break apart Babylon, Babylonian rule. And so the bear was the per- Persians and the, and the Medes coming together in this powerhouse of people that had that were ruthless. Like the bear with his ribs hanging out of his mouth, they were ruthless towards the people, killing everything in their, in their position, demanding more and more authority and more and more power. But then you see Greece at 150 B.C. that comes along and this power shifts again and Greece becomes this very powerful thing under, under uh, Antichus. And that might be the leopard, the third beast. But it becomes more vague and vague as you go. And then you have this this final beast. This terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong beast. It turns his arrogant tongue against God and against his people. Well, perhaps that's Rome. As they are before and uh, during and after the the destruction of of Jerusalem and the temple in 66 A.D. But here's the deal. Those things happen, but I think the point is not specifically identifying the beast. Why? Because guess what? <laughs> There's going to be more beastly kingdoms that are going to come in the next 2,000 years. There's going to be more nations that are going to raise up and that are going to snuff out people. There's going to be more nations and kings that are going to want to come and be rulers and have authority and be the, the end all to all of the other nations. This isn't... The first, and it's not the last time that we're going to see this happen. And that's why the ancients of days came and gave dominion to his, his son. So we have this snapshot of world history. And here's what happens. Evil powers are going to continue to rise and terrorize God's people over and over and over again. Yet the ancient of days will continue to reign and the son of man will continue to be the king of kings. But there's more. I think there's another level into this that we get to look at this morning. 
In verse 1 through 14, it's the dream. 15 through 28, there's an explanation and interpretation. But there's one more important detail in this vision. In verse 27, it says, The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heavens shall be given. To who? To us. To the church. It says, To the people of the saints of the Most High. How can we not marvel at such a statement? That God meant all of this to give us great comfort through Daniel in exile 2,500 years ago. And now there's obviously a different between, difference between the Son of Man and the saints. And so when the Son of Man is given power and dominion, then it's extended to the saints. So despite our present circumstances... And regardless of of whoever is the strongest in the land currently, God has been in control and will continue to be in control and is working out His will for His glory throughout all of history, past, present, and future. He will continue to humble. He will continue to destroy human kingdoms, including our own. Our own little kingdom that we build, trying to think that we're in control, that we have power, that we have dominion. Why? Because there's a kingdom that's promised that's been established. That's an everlasting kingdom that for those who believe are invited in to be a part of. And no ruler will ever have dominion over this kingdom. And this is the vision which came to its first fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. And it gave Jesus great comfort and great hope. And we see that as he stood in front of Caiaphas. And he, and he retells this dream to the high priest. And he says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And if it gave Jesus great hope and great comfort, then I think it should give us great hope and great comfort today as well. God is in control. He rules over all the kingdoms of men and over every time and every season, including ours today. Daniel's dream and Jesus' fulfillment of the son, as the Son of Man and God's promise to His church that we will reign with Him one day. This should give you incredible hope and incredible comfort. While we are here, we are ambassadors to the kingdom of God. Our job as followers, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings is to point, to, to direct others to there's a better kingdom. But one day... We'll get to be co-heirs with Christ in this kingdom. Romans 8. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. So our hope is an eternal hope. And we're reminded of all of this in Daniel's dream. So let's be clear. Daniel is not the center of this story. Daniel is not the hero of this story. Daniel was given this dream to unveil to us, to reveal to us who the true hero is. He is given this dream to point us to Jesus, the Son of Man, that has all dominion and all power and rules and will continue to rule for everlasting to everlasting in 
the heavenly kingdom. Right now, we are only foreigners. We're aliens here. And we're called one day to go and be in that kingdom for those who would believe in Jesus Christ as the King of Kings. So that's so important, so crucial for us today because all of us have our own little stories. All of us have our own little stories where we're the center of the stories and a lot of times we're the hero of the stories. And let this dream today point you that you are not the hero, that you are not the center of this, of your life, but Jesus is. And that's why we gather. That's why we come together. That's why we take communion every week together. Is that we're reminded that Jesus is the center. That he's the true and greater hero. Let's pray. God, thank you for this text. Lord, I know that, that it can go a whole lot of different ways. That we're so thankful that you have shown us that you are the king of history past, present, and future, and that you're the hero of all of story of this story, and that you have and you will uh, draw us to this established forever kingdom where you are seated at the, the right hand of the Father. And you'll give us all great comfort, and there's no more death. And we just get to sit and worship. <laughs> Just thinking about the, the imagery of millions sitting at your judgment seat worshiping you and all of you. Full, all attention is locked on you, God. And that one day, uh, Lord, that, that is us. But right now, I pray that we would practice that daily as we live in these broken, sinful bodies in this broken, sinful world, that we be ambassadors to a greater kingdom, pointing others to find their hope in you and in you alone. We pray this in the name of Jesus.